honest questions with honest answers. This is Unfiltered, brought to you by the Emergency Medical Minute. Good morning. Welcome back to Unfiltered. We are so fortunate to have Debbie Smith here, uh, just a treasure of experience uh, who's been gracious enough to carve out some time and uh, walk us through kind of the intersection of medicine and law. She does want to give a quick uh, a blurb to start with to make sure we understand the purpose of this uh, discussion. So please, Debbie, take it away. I have to meet everybody's expectations. So I'm going to start by saying um, that nothing of what I say today is intended to be legal advice. Uh, don't rely on it. If you have questions or concerns of a legal nature, please consult your own legal counsel. I'm providing information, uh, but not legal advice during this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. I am glad you said that. And we it feels appropriate to start the podcast in that way. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Well, Debbie, thank you again, really, for making the time. I, we've interacted on a number of different issues, and, and I'm just thankful that you've been able to come and spend some time with us this morning. Could you walk us through the how your, your career arc, how you got into this, and how your background and your experience has led you to where you are today? Sure. So I actually started my college experience um, as a theater major. And um, I, I filmed commercials when I was in high school and a little bit in college, and I thought I wanted to be an actress. Um, I went to New York and did some auditions and didn't like the experience at all. So I came back and regrouped and said, okay, what's, what's close to being an actor? Ah, oh, a lawyer. <laughs> and I went to law school um, thinking I was going to be a litigator, uh, but did not want to do that over time. Um, my mother is a nurse. My father is a hospital administrator. And um, medicine was always a part of my life. So I think it just led me down the, the path of healthcare law. That is a fantastic <laughs> origin story. I have no doubt that you could have been, if you wanted to be, it could have been successful at, in theater and, and performance. Um, so could you ever have imagined as you were going through law school or kind of early experiences in law that you would have wound up spending 30 plus years in healthcare law? Was that ever kind of on your radar? You know, I, I never thought about longevity. I, I'm a very energetic person and love to be challenged. So healthcare law has actually been a very rewarding career for me. Law changes every day. Regulations change on a daily basis almost. So um, it's really quite rewarding. And I, at this point in my life, I don't anticipate stopping. So <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. We need your help all the time, more all the time. Um, how, has, how have things changed kind of, as you mentioned, the law changes every day over your career? How have you seen healthcare law evolve and progress? Well, I, I think healthcare law really touches in, on every aspect of the law, from criminal law to corporate law to um, regulatory to litigation. And, um, you know, the, the healthcare regulations have changed drastically. Uh, we are handcuffed in, in many, many ways by federal and state regulators. Uh, it has a big impact on physicians, on healthcare facilities, how we can operate, what we need to do. Um, compliance is a huge issue for everybody. Um, so while I haven't really seen it change in, in terms of it being a regulatory environment, the breadth and the um, sort of increase mm -hmm. in regulations ha has um, evolved over time. Understood, understood. What would you say occupies most of your time 
in your current position? Um, well, that changes on a daily basis. Um, you podcasting know. <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, podcasting today. I think one day last week I had over 200 emails in a day and then spent the whole day responding to emails. Um, you know, I spend a fair bit of time uh, doing contracts. Um, I actually am fortunate enough that I'm working for a company that's very innovative. So I get to spend a lot of time talking with people and planning new ventures, uh, coming up with ideas, um, thinking about growth opportunities. So, you know, that's very rewarding and, and it's a tremendous opportunity. That's, that's a great point. As, as you draw up contracts in a new space where either you or the company has not been particularly active before, do you lean on experience, previous experience that you've had? Do you just stick to a set of kind of principles when you're drawing up those contracts or does it free flow depending on what type of initiative you're trying to get into? Well, there are certain minimum things that need to be in every contract. You know, you, you have to deal with HIPAA and you have to deal um, with sometimes indemnification, terms of contracts, uh, you know, term and termination clauses, assignment. Those kinds of things are, are in every contract. But what I try to do is sit down with, with the folks who are actually going to be impacted by that contract and listen to what it is that they want to accomplish and then try to draft the contract in that way. Um, you know, again, I, I have a tremendous opportunity to be working with people who are, who are very forward thinking and um, who also are willing to spend the time with me and uh, sit down and talk about what they would like to do. And, and then we talk about how we're going to get there. So. Well, as a person who's been privy to some of those conversations, I can tell you that it is a treasure to have you in that because that well, there your experience in pitfalls of you know ways folks have pigeonholed themselves because of a contract and it's something that they don't want to do or whether it's regulatory things. Your experience in that guides I know it guides me, it guides all of us when we're trying to get into these new spaces um, because. I have no doubt that I would get myself into trouble unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten myself in enough intentional trouble in my life, but unintentionally I would get myself into trouble without your without your help. So I, I certainly appreciate well, that. I, I appreciate that sentiment. Um, you know, when I'm, I'm still relatively early in my career, as you look back and you've dealt with hundreds, thousands of physicians over the course of your, your career, what would you say if there are any themes, you know, to a young physician just entering practice you know this is an er kind of focused podcast but sure. what 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 lessons or what advice would you give them to avoid some kind of common pitfalls well you know i think one of the biggest challenges for doctors is, is you know they have to start out reviewing these contracts and making sure that um, they're not entering into something that is going to hinder them later. You know, when you're looking at a contract, you've got to pay attention to things like non-compete clauses, and is that going to impact your ability to move um, later if you if you choose to do that? What kind of company are you working for? You need to look at that, too, and, and what do they do with their employees, and, and do they handcuff them from further opportunity, either while they're working for them or in the future? Um, you know, the regulatory environment is, is also... Um, very, very difficult for, for new docs. Um, you know, ER docs deal with a whole bunch of regulations, EMTALA being one of those, and, and how EMTALA is interpreted by a healthcare facility and what the physician obligations are changes a little bit from, from facility to facility, and, and that's a little bit challenging. Um, you know, I, I think 
trying to maintain that ability to exercise independent medical judgment when you're in an employment situation is super important mm. um, for a doctor. And I think you need to be watching, um, you know, am I going to work for someone who is going to hinder my ability to practice medicine? You've received the training. The corporation has not. And the corporation should not be in interfering with that, that judgment. You know, I, I think looking at resources, if you happen to be someone who has a particular interest in an area, are you working for someone or are you entering into a contract that's going to allow you to um, seek that growth in your life? And is it going to be yours or is it mm. going to end up belonging to your company? So things like work product clauses are, are real important in a contract. Um, you know, there's a lot to think about. It's, it's not just the practice of medicine. It, it, it's also about, um, you know, how, how you see yourself growing and developing and what kind of relationship are you entering into and how is that going to impact your plans. That's great advice. That's great advice. We, as we go through training, become so engrossed in the clinical side of it and the medicine side of it that I wouldn't say that very many of us feel prepared in that way to engage in the world of contracts, to, to have the you know, kind of forward thinking, to think of how contracts would impact our practice. Do you have any examples you can think of? You, It struck me particularly when you mentioned being able to f make your independent medical decisions mm -hmm. and not to have any sort of corporation or other entity impinge on that. I'd, can you give any examples or any, any thoughts that you have about how that sure. plays out? Sure. I, you know, I think one place that that plays out is when you're providing patient care and you're making a decision about um, is it appropriate to admit this patient to this facility where I'm sitting in the ED or does this patient need a higher or a different level of mm -hmm. care? And there, there's that sort of tug of loyalty to the facility you're working at um, as, as well as some administrative pressure probably to um, keep that patient uh, at the place, you know, they came to. Or is it better for that patient to go elsewhere? And um, you, you can't let a company impact that decision. That is truly the exercise of medical judgment, and it, that's your decision with regard to your patient's care. Thank you. That's, that's a great example. I know we have a large portion of our audience who work in rural settings and and you know the push-pull of that type of decision is is, is a, a regular one that they have to to work on we've touched on contracts uh we, we've touched on a little bit of the practice of medicine do you have any other kind of interesting legal side or insights or situations that you know you think are something that docs wind up facing on a regular basis that, that you'd like to, to talk about well i you know one thing that i would recommend is that you protect yourself. If you have a great idea, make sure that that idea is protected, possibly through copyright or, or trademark law if you need to go that route. Um, but also um, make sure that if, if you want to share that with your employer or with a facility, that you start with some kind of agreement up front to protect the ownership and the rights to whatever it is um, you have an idea about. I, I know over the years I've seen docs come up with uh, sort of automated discharge instructions and, you know, patient uh, platforms that, that we might use uh, to uh, look at reports or to um, track trends. But the 
ingenuity that came up with that idea belongs to, the, to that physician who mm -hmm. came up with it. And um, be careful about someone taking your ideas. Make sure you're protected. Got it. I hope to one day have enough valuable ideas I have to worry about <laughs> protecting them. <laughs> I don't know. You, you work with a number of people who should be inspirational. That, in that is regard. true. That yeah. is true. I am a, I'm associated with people with uh, excellent, you know, incredible ingenuity and, and innovation. But um, one, other, one other thing that I think touches on our, our, uh, on our practice a lot is, is, is litigation. Um, yeah. And in, in a number of forms, you know, certainly the medical malpractice, but also um, being called to testify as an expert witness. Um, and could you just kind of walk us through, a lot of our docs are young or early in their career and fortunately or unfortunately don't have experience with that system. Could you kind of just walk us through how how that would work in terms of, you can pick either one, either, yeah. either the MedMal or the uh, the expert witness and just kind of walk folks through what, what you would expect or how it should go. Because as we've talked about it, it oftentimes doesn't go as it's supposed to. Sure. And you know, I, I kind of look at this in three different ways and, and I have some real frustration with Colorado law in this regard. Um, the first way this comes up is if you've treated a patient and that patient is involved in perhaps a criminal case, either they're the defendant or they're the alleged victim. Um, and then you are called by a district attorney or a public defender or a private attorney defending uh, the individual who's charged with a crime. Um, Colorado law doesn't protect the time of our healthcare providers. Um, basically what can happen is the, the attorneys can subpoena the physician, not pay them for their time, and use them as a fact witness because you have personal knowledge about the circumstances that might be relevant in their case, and they call you as a fact witness and then use you as an expert, uh, and they don't pay you. That, that is very frustrating to me. There are many states who have laws that require there be a minimum dollar amount that be paid to a physician when they're brought into a case. If we had something like that, that would do two things. Number one, it would prevent attorneys from wasting your time if they knew they had to pay you. Mm -hmm. And second, it would compensate you. In many of these cases, what happens, particularly in criminal cases, is the case gets set, then it gets continued, and then it gets continued again and again. And each time they change the date, you're taking time off work, time away from your family, and it, it ends up being a big use of time. I, I do appreciate that doctors are very interested in justice and in supporting the system and in supporting their patients, but there needs to be a better balance. And um, I'm quite frustrated. I, we get tens of subpoenas ev every week. Um, and it, I see the impact mm -hmm. that it has on our providers' lives. You know, if you choose to be an expert witness, basically someone who's hired um, to testify in a case, that can come up in two different ways. Either someone is properly using you as a physician and treat, treating you as an expert witness and paying you for your time, or they're retaining you to be an expert in a case that you not, were not necessarily involved with to begin with. You have to be a little bit cautious because you don't want to involve yourself in a case that ends up creating law that is adverse to you mm. in the future. So if you're participating in expert witness situations, be, be cautious with what you're agreeing to do and what kind of cases you're, you're agreeing to be involved in. And then probably the worst way to be involved in a case is to be a defendant yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, medical malpractice cases um, are extremely stressful. 
Um, we happen at our practice to have an insurance company that is a very valuable partner with us and with our providers, and they're very supportive. Um, hopefully, all physicians have that opportunity to have an insurance company that, that truly acts as their partner. Don't be afraid to report things. If something happens in the care of a patient, they threaten you um, with a lawsuit, um, they're particularly uncooperative, um, something happens and you're concerned, report that to your insurance company. You can report a thousand claims a week and not have it impact your practice, your insurability, your rates. It protects you. So typically there is a um, requirement that you report a claim within a certain period of time of when you knew or should have known that the claim could arise. If you fall outside of, of that reporting window, you could end up not having a defense. So don't be afraid to report. And also, if you work for a company that has general counsel, use your general counsel. Call and ask questions. Ask for help. That's what they're there for. That's a wonderful overview. Thank you. Thank you. And you have always been approachable in that, in, in, in any of those settings. And are there kind of classic mistakes that you see folks, whether they're the young docs who are just inexperienced yeah. with how this goes, or is there, a, is there a blueprint for how folks can get themselves into trouble with these sorts of issues? Well, I think the biggest mistake someone makes is getting a subpoena and, number one, believing it's valid and that it compels them to provide information. A subpoena compels the attendance at a hearing or, or a deposition, it does not compel you to provide information. It is not an authorization under HIPAA. Um, you should not be talking to an attorney, to a third party about the care you provided uh, to a patient, and that includes confirming that they were your patient. Um, without having an, a HIPAA compliant authorization for use and disclosure of protected health information or a court order. Um, many physicians will go into court because they have a subpoena and they'll testify thinking that the subpoena authorizes them and the district attorney mm -hmm. or the, the defense attorney, they want your testimony. So they're not going to protect you. That's not what their job is. Right. Uh, you've got to protect yourself. Um, be very, very cautious about um, disclosing protected health information without valid authorization to do so. That's a that's a great piece of advice. Walk hand in hand with your legal counsel because they know the system better than, than we do and, and thank you. That's that's great. Well I, I would would ask just kind of as a as a closing question, uh, well twofold. One, what has COVID meant for, for you in your world? That's kind of it's, it doesn't feel right to do a podcast and not talk about COVID. Yeah. So that would be one. And then two, if you want to just comment on the future and where you think things are heading, you know, in your field, uh, that's a relatively open-ended question to, to have you answer. Sure. You know, COVID's had a big impact. It's, it's impacted patient volumes, which, which impacts our schedules and, and, you know, keeping people fully employed, which is one stressor. It's impacted our concern for our, our providers who are on the front lines every single day being exposed to, um, you know, illness. Uh, so, so that's very concerning. It's a big stressor for people for a number of reasons. You know, not not just the part of possibly getting sick, but also um, the limited resources that were particularly unavailable at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're dealing with more mental health issues now. I think 
you know, isolation impacts people and fear impacts people. And, and you guys are all on the front lines having to deal with that. At the beginning of, of the pandemic, some of the states actually came forward and tried to give some relief to healthcare providers. New York, New Jersey, Michigan, a few other states actually passed executive orders where they were protecting physicians from liability while providing care in the pandemic. And really what they did is they raised the bar. They said, okay, the standard is not negligence. It is gross negligence. Mm -hmm. But then they limited it to a very short period of time, like a month or less. And I think there's still the need for that. So I don't think the stresses on a provider have lessened. I think we're all learning as we go through this. I think employers are, are understanding a little bit better about what the, the providers need to navigate these relatively uncharted waters. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to walk down this path, it seems, and um, have to figure this out as we go. You know, as far as the legal industry, it really hasn't changed that much over time. Perhaps the breadth of practice increases. But, you know, we still have the same issues that we've always dealt with, risk management, all of those kinds of things I think are particularly important in, in these times. Um, you have to be flexible and willing to change course as a lawyer. You also have to be sensitive to your clients and um, provide them the support and the information they need in a way that they can understand and follow. I think the worst mistake lawyers make is getting too legalese, too verbose, as I sit here and talk on this podcast no, no, and no. never shut you're, up. You're, no, you're speaking in plain, <laughs> perfect English. No issue with um, that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think lawyers need to be more cognizant of who their client is and need to figure out ways to better meet their needs in a way that is simple to follow and effective. What advice would you have for anybody who was early on and who wanted to follow in your illustrious career footsteps? Uh, you know, anybody who was looking to get into healthcare law, I mean, any any pieces of advice other than what you just said, which I thought yeah, was well, profound? I, first of all, say I'm not going anywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't need them to follow me. But, damn right. Um, You're damn right. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. Yeah, we need you, David. Um, I would say... Healthcare law is, is just an amazing career, and you actually can subspecialize in healthcare law. You can specialize in the tax issues. You can, you can specialize in risk management. Immigration law, even, is a huge area in healthcare law. So it presents tremendous opportunity for anybody who wants to be a lawyer in a fast-paced environment that changes all the time, so you will never be bored. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your energy is contagious. Your enthusiasm is is it's it's never ending, and, and we are so thankful to have you and to have your perspective. Um, I know I'm the personal beneficiary of that, and uh, on a near daily basis. So, thank you, and thank you for the the time you've made for us today. You know, I. I, again, I have no doubt that you could have been a star on Broadway, but I think you're a podcasting star. <laughs> I can't sing. <laughs> I'm tone deaf. I never would have made it. <laughs> but you're a star for us, and you're a star on this on this podcasting platform. We would love to have you back anytime Thank because you. your expertise is one that I think our listeners, whatever environment they're practicing in, they interact with uh, with law, with healthcare law, and we are uh, fortunate to have an expert. So thank you. I, I appreciate that, and I, I'm also humbled every day to be working with docs. They, they are just amazing people, and I appreciate the opportunities that are provided to me. Well, thank you. Well, 
we continue, we'll continue to partner on things and hopefully move into exciting and new innovative spaces uh, side by side. Thank you very much. Thank Any you. further things you'd want to talk about? Anything we didn't cover today on the podcast? No, I think we went all over the board. <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. We could dive into those deep into any of those uh, um, at another date. But thank you very much, Thank Debbie. you. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.